Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas, and welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your hosts, Martha and... Ashley. Hey, Ash. I see we're both, hey girl. We're both wearing our DNM merch. <laughs> of course, every day. Does yours also have almond butter stains on it, or is that just mine? Uh, no, but I have dog slobber on mine, so. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are entering this beautiful month of February, the one that I have yes. to say like February so that I remember how to spell it, like an adult. Yep. Yep. Same. (laughs) Uh, Well, mamas, we have often the opportunity to either on this podcast interview experts in the field of um, obstetrics, maternal mental health, or we then get the wonderful, wonderful experience of interviewing mamas just like you, mamas from around the world who've had journeys unique and also so similar to one another. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be interviewing Michaela Trangsrud. Did I say it right? You said it right. Yay! Good job. Michaela <laughs> um, is a mom of, of some amazing littles. Um, but today, in honor of Heart Month, we thought she'd be perfect to interview um, about her sweet little miracle, Mia. So we're so glad that you're here. Yeah, it's fun to be here. I'm excited to share a little bit about Mia. Us too. And we've had the honor, I've had the honor of knowing you for some years now, Michaela, Mm -hmm. but you and Mia were a part of our recent celebration photo shoot and she was a little model for the camera. She worked it. She was like, I've done this. I know what I'm doing. It was the best. And you guys, those pictures were so, so cute. So I'm really excited to have our beautiful sisterhood meet you as well. Yes. I'm excited too. She, she really did love that photo shoot. She was she was smiling away. You got some really good pictures. <laughs> oh, it's so special. So fun. I think it's so cool about mm-hmm. the celebration photo shoots. And we haven't been able to do, you know, very many in this season with because of the pandemic. But it's really cool because how often is it that you have that special relationship between, you know, if, if you have multiple kids too, just you and your child, right? Like just that specific mm-hmm. yeah. relationship. And oh, it's so beautiful. We just like cry looking through all the photos and oh man, I'm so you know, I shed a few tears looking through all of ours too. And it was so fun to meet other NICU moms too, who have gone through their yeah. own journeys, but still journeys nonetheless. And um, we're able just to kind of say solidarity, mama. I know, I know what it's like and, yeah. Yeah. you know, encourage each other. So that was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we go to the very beginning, Michaela? Um, when did you find out that you were pregnant with Sweet Mia? Um, we found out in March of 2019, and um, we were pretty excited to be pregnant with her. We um, had a two-and-a-half-year-old at the time, and we had actually, a couple months prior, had had a miscarriage um, at about ten-and-a-half weeks. So um, that was really hard for us, and to um, get pregnant quickly again was just a miracle and she's you know our little 
our little rainbow baby. So we've been excited about her ever since the the surprise pregnancy test. Yeah. And so because you had had a, quote, normal, full-term, uncomplicated delivery, were you anticipating this pregnancy going the same way? Yeah, I was. I mean, I was obviously a little nervous because of our previous miscarriage. Um, You know, you kind of tread lightly when you're (laughs) to get excited. I mean, it sounds sad, but when you've been hurt like that in the past, it's kind of, it's hard to get really excited um, again. So, but we were, we were happy and I was hopeful that we would, um, you know, have another full-term pregnancy and healthy, healthy baby. So. Yeah. So how was your pregnancy with Mia? Uh, it was good. The first half was good. I was a little sick, just like with my, uh, with my first. And um, up until 20 weeks again, aside from the nerves, we were we went into our 20 week ultrasound, uh, excited and hopeful. Um, and then, so about at our 20 week ultrasound is when we found out, um, you know, kind of what Mia's future was going to look like. Um, after the ultrasound, we were told by my doctor that uh, he said it looks like she has one ventricle in her heart, and it looks like she has a mass on her face. And, you know, we obviously were shocked and didn't really know what to say. Or mm-hmm. um, He had said, he's like, I, I don't know. I, I've looked through all of my books, and there's nothing that I, in my experience, to explain these two things happening together. So from then, they referred us down to um, the Maternal Fetal Medicine Clinic in Minneapolis, which mm-hmm. is who um, we ca- um, ended up following up with from there. So um, the second half of the pregnancy was obviously more stressful than the first, not knowing exactly. You can only find out so much through ultrasounds. And um, so our first appointment that we went down there, we actually got in the next day, thankfully. So I didn't have... <laughs> an extended period of time where I was just, you know, kind of reeling through my mind about all the terrible possibilities that, you know, or future that we could have. Um, so we went down there and I had, uh, like, I would probably say three hours of ultrasounds and fetal mm. echoes. And we ended up doing an amniocentesis at the time too, to see if there was any genetic abnormality that could explain um, the heart and this the the this mass on the face that they didn't really know what it was either, ended up having a uh, another an MRI about two weeks later, which MRIs are hard to hold still for anyways. Yeah. But when you're right. pregnant oh and you're told gosh. to lay flat on your back and wow. not move, it was pretty miserable. Um, but yeah. we made it through, and um, at that time they they kind of knew a little bit about what kind of heart defects we were dealing with. Um, but they at the time thought that this mass on her face was what's called an encephalocele. So essentially it's where the um, the skull doesn't fully come together and you have um, brain mass that's kind of protruding through this defect in the skull, um, which is a, it's called, it's a neural tube defect. And so that's kind of what we thought we had going on. And But they were like, well, it doesn't really look like there's much brain affected with it. And so we just, you know, they just don't really know, which is... Right which is frustrating as a mom to, and as someone who really loves to know everything so that I can fully prepare for the future. Um, So it was difficult knowing a lot, but not knowing enough essentially to, um, to know what to do. And so, um, but yeah, so we just had a lot of appointments through there, kind of finding out stuff little by little, but then waiting another month to find out more information and another month. And 
Um, and then in the last couple weeks, or starting at 30 weeks, we had um, weekly ultrasounds and um, non-stress tests just to make sure that she was doing fine and um, to see if, you know, how long we would make it or how long she would make it through yeah. or into the pregnancy. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, that's, so, like you said, you got the news and you don't really, I, I mean, you're not equipped to really process all of that information, right? And you're sitting in the, in the mm-hmm. doctor's office, right? But even to have a provider yeah. say, I don't have answers for you. I've looked through all of my, you know, books and things. I can't imagine. I mean, that must have felt terrifying and isolating, right? Yeah, it did. Um, and like I said, I I am a registered nurse, so I have right. lots of experience in the healthcare field. And mm-hmm. to, and I know that, you know, doctors don't know everything. But right. to know yeah. really, and even in all of my education that I've had and experiences, just... Yeah sorry, we don't know what's wrong with your baby, essentially is like, it's um, crippling kind of too, and not knowing well, because when you know, well, this is, this has happened before, and this is how this baby ended up um, doing, and I had had none of that. I didn't know anything about what her future looked like. So, um, so yeah, there was a lot of really hard, um, hard things. And when I go through stressful things, I'm kind of a put your head down and walk through it and not look up and not think about anything else, but what you have to do and get it done. Right. Um, which ended up not being the best for processing a lot of things along the way. Right. I, I feel like what people forget when you go through a high risk pregnancy is that in the long term, pregnancies are short, like nine to 10 months, right? Some are shorter than others. Yeah. I've never made it past five months. So I don't know. That's true for me. Right. <laughs> but I, um, I also think that people forget that as the the mom, as the birthing person, it's your 24-7 experience being in your body. Mm-hmm. And so there's absolutely no way that you can, you know, get a reprieve. So like you said, literally taking it second by second is all you can do. Um, yeah. How were, did you talk about it at all with your, your, with your child at the time or, or with other loved ones? Or were you just kind of waiting to understand more about that diagnosis? Yeah. Um, well, I am definitely an external processor, so I don't feel like I can come up with it. Sorry, with two valid... external processors listening yeah. to yeah. <laughs> Yes. And I don't, because I could sit there and think about something for an hour and then come out and say, I don't, I've made no progress on this mm-hmm. because I have not been able to verbalize it. So, um, yeah. um, but no, I probably called my mom as soon as we walked out of the office and cried for an hour, I don't even remember, but that's probably what I did. But um, no, my husband and I talked about it a lot after. And I mean, Adelaide, she's our oldest. She was only, like I said, uh, she would have been almost three. No, I think I'm getting, I think she was like still like, I think she was just turning two actually when we ended up getting pregnant with her. I think I can't really can't remember those dates, yeah, you know, multiple kids. You know, kind of remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she was so young. And so there really wasn't anything even to prepare. Cause we knew we were going to be, you know, we knew we would have um, a hospital stay and we, um, but you can only explain so much to a two-year-old. She really doesn't care besides, you know, right. if she's being fed. Where's the Daniel <laughs> right. Tiger, right? Yep. Pretty much. And so um, I think we kind of explained a little bit like, Oh, we're going to be, going somewhere else or living somewhere else for a while. So mm-hmm. yeah, not yeah. much prep really had to happen for her. Yeah. yeah. 
thankfully. Right. So because you guys knew that you had a hospital stay, you know, how did you begin to like mentally and emotionally prepare for that? I mean, did you prepare for that or was it something that was hard to do or? You know, I tried to, um, but when I kind of came to find out that even with her surgeries, like you can only prepare so much for something. And I feel like emotionally, I don't know that I really prepared could prepare much, but mentally, um, I knew, um, my faith is really, really important to me. Um, and it's really has been, um, the cornerstone of everything I've gone through. And so knowing that God ultimately has the best plan for me and has the best in store for me kind of brought me some peace. And that's kind of essentially how I prepared for it is just knowing that Mm -hmm. whatever we were going to go through, I had, an amazing support system. I had a wonderful husband and I had a really good God who, um, no matter what was going to happen, was going to see us through, you know, even if it was worst case scenario of, um, you know, her not making it. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that was my biggest thing. was just reminding myself of that and knowing that we were, we were going to make it, you know? Yeah. So you, you didn't live in the city that you were being seen at, correct? Mm -mm, Correct. So then did you guys need to move to the cities prior to her delivery or what did the process look like of kind of settling into your new hospital home? Yeah, so we, um, starting at about 20 weeks, went down about monthly. I would do Mm -hmm. some of my follow-up here in my hometown and then we would go down there. We're about three hours away from from the cities that we were going to be staying at. And so it was about monthly until about week 30 and then I went down. Um, I don't know if it was every week or every other week, Mm. Um, but about 37 weeks, they wanted us to move down to be closer to the cities. Mm. And so we did, we were so fortunate to have some amazing family that we got to stay with. Mm. Um, And so we made it to 39 weeks and two days, which is her scheduled Mm. C-section date. So thankfully we made it that long um, and were able to have no emergencies and related to her delivery, which was a huge blessing mentally for me. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. We also had um, the opportunity to to stay at the Ronald McDonald house, Mm -hmm. uh, the long-term location um, down in Minneapolis, which was amazing, but we couldn't get into it until after we had her. So there was this time and sometimes there's a long wait list. So there was this time where we were like, well, we were kind of living in you know, we're living at families, but then we were living in the hospital, my hospital room, and then we were waiting to hear. So thankfully, we didn't have a night, a, a homeless night. Right. We um, <laughs> got to transition right away into the Ronald McDonald house, which was, which we ended up staying at the whole time, which is um, wow. a huge blessing to us. They're incredible people there. Yeah, absolutely. So what was Mia's delivery like? Um, like I said, we made it to her scheduled date. Um, Driving, I remember driving to the hospital through, you know, 6 a.m. Minneapolis traffic. Was, <laughs> are we, are we going to be, I was like constantly checking, like, are we going to be late? Are we, are we on time to get there? And just, right. I don't want anything, you know, bad to happen all the way there. And um, so I, you know, I never had a C-section before. I had a, um, a different delivery with my first. And so she was my first C-section. So I, you know, kind of showed up and we did all the prep and 
again, being a nurse, it's, I, I don't like being a patient, especially, especially having the, um, the history of being a nurse. It's just a little more vulnerability. Um, but they were amazing down there. They do this stuff all the time. And so they were super encouraging and kind. And, um, so, you know, we were doing the C-section and the other thing too, that we didn't know Um, I mean, we had a lot of ultrasounds, like I said, but the other thing with Mia is um, this mass on her face that we yeah. weren't sure, which is why we ended up having a C-section because we didn't want any um, to increase the risk of any complications. Um, so we didn't really know what she was going to look like, essentially. There's really no easier yeah. way to say it than that. Um, and I think that too was probably the most, because in my mind, you can fix a heart. I mean, kind of, you know, with surgeries, you can improve the function of a heart, but you know, when you have yeah. a, um, an obvious facial abnormality, it's, it's really hard to process and, you know, mm -hmm. still is kind of a lifelong processing thing for me. Um, but we, we just didn't know, you know, essentially we didn't know what she was going to look like. So there was that yeah. anticipation too. And, um, you know, she's, she looks different than other children's. She's beautiful in who she is because it makes her who she is. Right. Um, but it really was, to be honest, it was, it was a big thing for me to process, um, you know, that my kid looks different than yeah. my other one. Yeah. So, um, that was, um, as you know, in the beginning days, that was kind of a hard thing to continue to pro. I mean, I shouldn't say hard. It wasn't hard because I loved her no matter what. You know of what course. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, um, of course. But it was just yeah. another thing to process and work through and work through my own, um, my own mental stuff with that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, they took her too. They they got her out and they stabilized her and got all of her lines and stuff in. And there was easily. I mean, I have this you know C-section sheet, so I can't see a ton. Um, but my husband's like, there are so many people in here. There's, yeah. you know, doctor, doctors for me and nurses for me and surgeons and and everybody for right. her and all that stuff. And so, um, but they did a good job. They took care of her and they kind of brought, when they stabilized her and were ready to go upstairs, they brought the isolate over so I could see her. And um, then she disappeared and my husband disappeared yeah. and I was left alone to finish up the surgery yeah. and then the recovery and they brought me up right away after that but gosh when you're laying there alone not knowing what's going on yeah. and what's happening with your baby it seems like an eternity oh absolutely and and also yeah. you have like these like drugs pumping through your body which i also think doesn't yes. help because you're like it, totally. it can be 2 a.m or 2 p.m how i will never know i literally been in this room for 15 minutes but it feels like a lifetime um, yes, I agree. And this, this PACU that I was in too, it was like my light was the only one that was on and everything else was dark and there was nobody else in there because it was like early Monday morning. Oh, yeah. And so I'm like, I really am alone and I, I'm paralyzed. Like yeah, I can't yeah. move my legs. Yeah. And I'm like, what if something happens? How am I going to get anywhere? Yeah. I'm, I can't run away. Totally. Side you know? note, both times I've been to the PACU <laughs> after we see sections, I'm like, they forgot about me. They forgot about me both times. Yeah. I was like, they, they just like put me in, in this broom closet. I have no idea what I'm Yes, there, there was a time where I was I was left alone. I swear one of those lights is probably flickering too. Like Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just it's just this scene of I Yeah. Know, no, so but it was yeah. yeah. So it was a lot of time just to for me to um 
try to calm my mind and not think about all the terrible yeah. things. I should have had my phone. I didn't have my phone on me to text my husband and but see. You don't even know where your you underwear know. is at that point. You know what I mean? Seriously. So it's like, yes. that's one of the times where you're like, I haven't seen my phone in three days or my underwear. That's how it is. When yep. You're um, yep. Pretty much. So, so, so that moment too, when they bring her over, I mean, um, like you said, you weren't, you didn't know what she would look like or, or mm-hmm. how her, um, her the mass on her face would present or even mm-hmm. how she would just respond to like the life-saving measures most NICU babes get right when they're born um mm-hmm. so was how did it feel seeing her um it was I feel like it was a similar thing with the, my other two kids yeah. it just I immediately loved her you know and it didn't really matter like yeah we were always very optimistic on you know, how large the mass was, how big this, you know, the, the, the space between her eyes would be. And, um, but seeing that it, it really was worse than we thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, again, it was just kind of hard to, um, yeah, I don't know what I'm saying here. I don't like No, it. absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I see what you mean. It's like, um, at one point, like, there's this part of you that's like, you're meeting your baby for the very first time. And like, right. um, someone once told me, it's like, you see them and you say, oh, yeah, that's who you are. Of course, that's who you are. Mm-hmm. Right. When you see who yep. they are. Uh, but then immediately yep. the other mama bear part of you is like, I'm also assessing every part of the situation because I am going to fix everything. Right. Or I'm going yes. to know everything I need to and fight like hell for you. Right. Yeah. Yes, I would agree with that. And I think I, um, I'm an Enneagram six, so I don't know, you oh, know, we're all about the Enneagram. Yeah, <laughs> but knowing so, yes. So my, I'm like worst case scenario thinker yeah. and I am not. It's easy for me to move on from the past, but it's very, very difficult for me to move forward into the future and not be afraid. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more, it wasn't like a, oh, woe is me kind of thing that I have to walk through this. It was like, a, what does this mean for the future and how are we? Right. So I'm like not hardly, I don't even remember a lot about those first moments because I was not really in the moment, essentially, my mind is just Mm -hmm. kind of in the future. And which again, isn't always the best way when you're trying to process um, some heavy things that we went through. So no, when they brought her around, I just, I instantly felt she was just mine. She was my Mia and um, we were in this together. So Mm -hmm. yeah. This is a side note, but how did you choose her name? Um, I, well, my husband and I were talking about names. We did not find out we like the surprise on what we're having, the gender that we're having for our kids. And um, so we weren't going to find out with her. But then when we kind of found out all of this, this future that we had, um, I told my husband actually on the way to our ultrasound down in the cities, I said, I want to know if it's a girl or a boy. Um, he said, okay, that's fine. And, you know, we had talked about names prior. And I like the name Amelia. And he uh, did not like it, but he just you know, like would prefer, liked other names and, um, but he liked the name Mia. So we had talked about it before. And when we were sitting in the ultrasound room, the ultrasound tech said, Oh, it's a girl. And I looked at Jared and I said, um, it's a girl and her name is Mia. And he <laughs> smiled at me and he squeezed my hand and he smiled and he goes, Mia. So Aww. we just, yeah, just oh, kind of knew right away. Oh God. That's so I was sweet. like trying to look back, but I can't. That's so sweet. <laughs> Oh, yes, I love that. Oh. I think it's so cool how you guys um 
you were like this solid like wall of like Mia is ours and we're gonna like from the second you knew as much as you could about her Mm -hmm. you were gonna fight for her I was just like yep okay I need to put myself on mute for a second because it's just really beautiful yeah I um they had asked too and I don't know how how much of this I can say you know she when they had called me later that afternoon after my ultrasound they had said well, you have two options. Um, we can see you down here and we can continue with the pregnancy or we're wondering if terminating is something that you um, have thought about. And I mm-hmm. like, I've always had very strong beliefs and a firm stance on what I believe about kids um, and their lives. But at this moment, I was standing, I remember exactly where I was standing and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I feel what other what it feels like to be so scared that you Mm -hmm. don't know if you want that future if that makes sense yeah yeah and it um yeah it still just brings me to tears not that not that my our decision was ever going to change other than choosing life for our child no matter what that would happen but I in that moment understood the the heaviness that Mm -hmm. moms feel when they're in very difficult situations um and so it gave me such an empathy too of you know understanding and not judging why people do what they do yeah yeah because not that because i understood um what it was like to be scared that you know so yeah Yeah. i i think it's such a hypothetical for people and Mm -hmm. the reality is when you're dealing with prematurity or birth defect or complications at delivery or all these things that happen all the reasons why babies mm-hmm. end up in the NICU um it is the the you're on the precipice of life new life and um unless it's really challenging to talk about these topics they have a new weight yeah they have new gravity yeah. that they didn't before and um yep that's one of the things I know, and maybe you agree. I don't know, Michaela, but I'm glad, I'm grateful for that perspective for my life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I agree. Yes, it makes you more totally. empathetic for the world. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I would agree. I'm, a lot of things about Mia's journey have made me a better person. And even, again, just understanding and being patient and kind with people when they feel differently about things than you do, because they have, their life is you know, colored by their own experiences, which may be different colors than yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful, beautiful thing in trying to understand and um, be supportive of other people in ways that you can. Yeah, absolutely. So Mia was brought to the NICU. Did your husband go with her as she was wheeled away? Or what was yes. your guys' first interactions with Mia in the NICU like? Um, yep, she, um, my husband left with her right away. And then I was... Um, just in the PACU until I could, you know, move my legs and stuff. Um, and then they wheeled me up um, in the bed and then wheeled me into the ice or into the, the CVICU is where she was admitted directly to. Um, so pulled me up to the bed next to her and I just kind of got to be in there for a little bit. And then um, they brought me back down stairs um, and, and I never left my bed. So in, it's funny, I came in like this, the OR doors that I've never been through since. And so like, I see like my first visions of, or memories of the, the ICU are different 
then after that because I was came in a different hallway and I'm like, oh, that's where I came through. Like it's it's it seems Sure. like it's a whole different experience. Um, Right. but then but then I went back downstairs and you know recovered a little more and I was probably really annoying to my to my postpartum nurse because I was like, I'm getting out of bed. She's like, no, you just said I'm like, no, I'm getting out of bed and you're taking Miss Cather out of me and I am going back upstairs and so I was very motivated to um. to push through my recovery, which was, which ended up actually being okay. I don't feel like I really should have done anything different because, you know, mama bear, I'm, if I'm not by her bedside, who's, who's speaking up for her? I mean, my husband was, but, um, so yeah, I was very motivated to, to recover quickly. And I walked very, very soon. And I, um, my first other trip up in a wheelchair, I was taken up with my little Foley bag hanging on the side of my wheelchair, being wheeled around by somebody who had no idea where they were going or what I had to do. I had to like check in at the front desk to get my, to get my sticker in order to go upstairs. And it was a mess. But anyways, I, I got this, um, I don't think I held her the first day she was born, but I held her. I mean, she's got like art lines in and I mean, all of this stuff and She wasn't intubated um, at that time, but um, so I got to hold her, I think maybe the second day. Um, so yeah, I was very, very motivated to kind of essentially push myself aside because I wanted to be up there with Mia. Mm. So, Right. yeah. Yeah. So with her facial um, deformities and things, did that didn't affect her breathing or her ability to breathe on her own? Uh, it did. The way that the um, tumor, it, it essentially was like a midline. And so they found out after um, they did more tests and stuff. And um, it was actually what's called a teratoma, um, which these tumors are one of the more common tumors, but still very rare. But they are never, essentially really never on the face or neck. Um, actually, there was one family who had a heart kiddo who was there, their older son had um, a uh, the teratoma on his neck. Um, like how random, like <laughs> Right, that we're, yeah. that, you know, that we're meeting in this, this, this um, ICU. Um, but it is very extremely rare to have um, these on the face. So what, what had happened was one of her nostrils does not connect, like essentially like it's, it's, it was there on the other side of the tumor, but it's not functioning. And then the other one um, was there, but it was, it's narrowed. So essentially she has Sure. like a fourth of the, the nasal airway that she's supposed to. Um, but she um, needed to be on a little bit of respite. She was fine on Rumer for a while and they did a little bit of blow by and then they increased to nasal cannula and then they, so that's kind of the progression of, you know, she's not maintaining saturations and that kind of thing. So, Sure, sure. um, so they had to just increase it there, but until her surgery, she, I think she ended up on, I don't think she was on BiPAP. I think she was just on CPAP before, um, before she had her first heart surgery. Okay, sure. So when you guys were first admitted to the NICU, you know, were the, were the major concerns that they were watching out for, the heart, is that kind of like the main reasons that they wanted to monitor her so closely? Yes. So with her, um, she has five different heart defects, which um, I can go over to a little later. But she, um, one of them is called pulmonary atresia. So essentially, 
her blood could not get from her heart to her lungs to get oxygenated. Mm -hmm. So, but when babies are little, like with their fetal circulation, their blood just kind of goes all over because you don't really need to oxygenate oxygenate anything because, you know, the mom's doing that for you um, through the umbilical cord. But once they're born, then these little holes close and then it they have what essentially is, you know, the adult cir- form of circulation after those holes close. So right after she was born, before she even left the OR, she was started on a medication um, that essentially mimicked, made her heart keep those holes open so she could continue to have that fetal circulation so everything could kind of circulate all together. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this, she needed um, her heart sur- first heart surgery um, within that first week. So she had wow. it at, at seven days old was wow. her first heart surgery. Wow. Mm-hmm. And did you knew that it would be the first one to have? Did you know that before she, she arrived? We did. Yep. Um, so we kind of had, we, we had that am- am- amount of information where we knew we had surgeries in her future and right. we knew. Um, so I think that kind of made it a little bit easier yeah. mm-hmm. to, to do uh, to walk forward into these surgeries because we knew it was going to have to happen. Um, and it was just something that, you know, it was best for, like she wasn't going to live if we didn't do it. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that made it easier to um, to walk through the hard things mm-hmm. um, because we knew that it wasn't an option to not do it. Right, for so, sure. Um, so, yeah. And was this first surgery in open heart surgery? Was it something that was, I mean, what was her first surgery? Like, what did that entail? Yep. So her first surgery um, was, she has something that's called a single ventricle palliation is um, one way to fix a certain number of heart defects. It's kind of interesting that it doesn't really it doesn't matter how many things or what's wrong with your heart. You fix it essentially two of two different ways. You either fix the heart and add in other, you know, vessels or tubes that need that you need, or you kind of leave the heart as is, and you change the body's circulation. So, and that's what Mia did. So she had a so she's a single ventricle repair. So that first heart surgery. Um, was putting a little tube in from one of the arteries that comes off of the heart and putting it, connecting it to the lung circulation or the pulmonary arteries. So that's the only way that her blood was being oxygenated was by this little plastic tube. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the first surgery. And then there's two more. One, then that one usually happens right away. And then the next one is called the Glenn surgery. And that happens usually around between four to six months. And then the third surgery in the course is the Fontan, and that happens around three to four years of age. So Mia currently has had, she had the BT shunt, and then because of a complication, she had um, a second surgery, but then she had her Glen, um, and then we'll have her Fontan around three or four. So we have, and even with um, her facial anatomy, we have lots of surgeries ahead of us too. And knowing again that, she needs this next heart surgery to, in order to continue to function and grow like the little girl she is and she should, uh, Mm -hmm. she needs it. Right. Right. Well, Michaela, um, it's pretty surreal again, because we've had the opportunity to meet Mia and to photograph the two of you to hear just some of her, her formative beginning moments of life and all that she's endured and also to see how she's thriving today. And Mm -hmm. it's pretty remarkable 
to um to get to hear these parts of her story so thank you so much for being so vulnerable and for sharing those with us yeah um we definitely don't want to skim across some of the other big moments that are ahead in mia's heart journey and NICU journey and so this episode will be two parts and so uh, i think this might be a good place to kind of cap the part one because there's so much more goodness and story to come with her part two um Thank you for being Mm -hmm. here for part one. Thank you for, again, just sharing your heart so vulnerably. And Nikki Mamas, thank you so much for listening to part one. Um, It's always such an honor to be able to share your stories. And um, we hope to any of the heart mamas listening that you guys feel really seen and heard. And so we will be back next week for Michaela and Mia's part two. But we love you all so much and we can't wait to catch you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood. 